Well, good morning. We are in a second part of a series on biblical parenting. That passage that was just read in Psalm 78 is actually a passage that I, uh, I talked about last week. And last week I handed out these little bitty things about struggling future and positive legacy for those of you who were here. And it was a focus on our own past and our behaviors today and how we can either pass on the struggling future to our children or we can pass on a positive legacy. Um, so that was our focus last week. This week, it's about engaging our children um, and how to interact with them. So we're going to look at the, the way that God interacts with us through His scriptures. And today, the first part of this, um, I'll probably go through fairly quickly. We're going to see how God basically takes care of our basic needs. And what are those? I've learned, as you all know, I'm a, uh, a therapist, so I, I look at that when I'm working with our kids. Do they have the food that's needed to be nourished by? Do they have the clothing to, to put on their backs? Do they have a roof over their heads? That's what we're going to focus on today at the very beginning. And if you will, turn to Genesis. That's the first book in the Torah. Uh, so you don't have to worry about before or after what, where it falls in the Bible. It's the very first book in the very first chapter. We're going to see how God basically takes care of His two children. And his very, the ones, right, without even an umbilical cord. Because He created them from the dust. And in Genesis 1, 29, we're going to see how their first basic need is food, and what it says within the passage. It says, Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. So right there we see the basic need of food being taken care of. These amazing plants, these amazing trees, they must have been really good because it, it looks within the passages like they weren't eating meat. So they must have been very vitamin friendly. Um, and as I've talked to many people in the past, they say that you know surviving on the nutrition of fruit and vegetables actually can help them uh, flourish in life. But um, I just wanted to point out here, God actually shows us that he's taking care of their basic needs. I want to reflect a little bit, too, on whenever God rescued the Egyptian or the Israelites out of Egypt, he took care of their basic needs by giving them manna. So he's caring for them even then. And even today, I have my own testimony of when I was single, and um, there was a time when I was struggling to pay the bills, and I had one can of soup, and about two packages of Top Ramen. And yet, I, I, it was Wednesday, and I made it through to Friday to that, to that paycheck. And I was able to go to the grocery store. And I remember that very fondly because I was relying on God to get me to that Friday. And whenever you're in that struggle, you can actually remember it a lot more clearly than whenever your cupboards are full. But whenever you're down to your last portions, you see how God provides for you. Moving forward, 
I want to show you how God provided for Adam and Eve in clothing, <clears throat> even after they went against what he said and ate from the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to. So in Genesis 3, 21, talks about how God provides for their clothing. So, and then picking up, like I said, um, 21 again of chapter 3, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He's interacting with his children. He interacts with us all the time. He interacted with the people. Again, my example, bringing them out of Egypt, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Quite amazing. I stand here today wearing the same clothing that I wore five or six years ago when I was still working in Nordstrom. I've set aside these shirts and my ties and my shoes for him just on Sundays and whenever I go to conferences for, for the Disciple Center. And I haven't had to replace them. It's because I take care of them and God takes care of me. These are just examples in my own life how God has, has taken care of my basic needs. One other way that we're going to look at within this passage or this portion is when God cares for us in times of distress. He's always comforting. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. As I was sharing about God delivering His people out of Egypt, it's in this passage of Scripture that we can see that He listens to us. He hears our cries. He's interacting, just as us as parents and family and friends of our children need to be interacting with our children. And it says, chapter 3, verse 7, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and Perizzite, and the Hevite, and the Jebusite. You see, God listens to His children. We need to be listening to ours. There was a time of distress just the other day with Rebecca. Her older but not too big of a cousin was trying to get her out of the swing. And she got stuck. And I heard her cousin say, help, help, Rebecca's hurting. My shoes came off, Kara's behind me, and I was there within seconds. See, our Father does the same thing in heaven when we cry out to Him. He wants to interact with us, but we have to make it personal. We have to go to Him, not just in the bad times, but also in the good. But in the bad times, He comforts us. I want to take a look at His number one example to us, and that's Jesus. In Matthew 9, if you will, turn there we'll actually see how Jesus cares for those who are mourning. He takes time out of his own day. When he was here on earth, he cared for those in need. And picking up in verse 18, it says, While he was saying these things to them, he's in a synagogue, 
an official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Did Jesus turn, turn away? No. Let's take a look. Jesus got up right then and began to follow him. And so did his disciples. Jumping to verse 23. It says, When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute player and the crowd, which was in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. You see, not just the father, but the one he sent, his only begotten son, cares so much about us that he delivered this girl from death the first time. Now, she had to go on and die again, but the thing is, he gives us the hope of eternal. He gives us that hope when we have somebody pass away. If you haven't experienced it, you will at some point in your life, as I have. And it's that only hope that can get me through. It's that comfort from the Holy Spirit that He sent forth afterwards. So it's these needs as we continue to watch our children and we interact, that their food's taken care of, that their shelter is provided, that their clothing is there, and they're not in distress, that we can look forward Let's see how they can, we can interact with them and help them flourish even more. So, we'll come to the next part of this same one, and we'll start to look at specific instructions that God gives to our parents. Turn to Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. For this congregation, we have actually went over this verse and over this verse, for, but for the sake of Teaching on this today, I just want to read through this passage because it tells the parents. It gives them an instruction on how to interact with their children. It says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. So place them on your heart, parents. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Specific instructions to us today to teach our children. Not just teach them, but show them by your behaviors. I grew up with the saying in my household that said words or uh, behaviors are louder than words. Our children watch. They mock. They model our behaviors. They will follow us wherever we go, but they won't always listen, right? But if we teach them, so this actually said, teach them my ways, show them how to go, would be accurate as well. So those are specific instructions given to parents. Now, fathers, men in this room, there's even more said to us, because if you'll turn to Ephesians 6... Let me give you a little bit of background here. Working with families and children for over a decade now, I can see why God has to intentionally tell us as men how to interact with our children because God has given an innate nurturing point to the women. 
they will nurture and kind of make the child flourish. Guys, we can actually irritate our children. We can actually put them down and discourage them a lot easier. So, this specific instruction is given to men. Listen to me because it's true. I've seen it. Even within myself, pushing my daughters. Pushing, pushing, pushing to the point that she turns away and runs away. And I think to myself, I'm not following what the scripture is saying. I should be able to teach her and push her to a point, but not discourage her. And in 6.4 of Ephesians, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay. So I just talked about the anger part. Don't ever get the kids so angry that they don't want to listen to you. But a lot of people say, well, that Deuteronomy passage is in the Old Testament. Sit here and listen to what that says. We're talking about the instructions and teaching them to our children. Listen, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He's replying, he's saying there the same thing that Deuteronomy is saying. So if I ever hear somebody say, that's the Old Testament, I'm going to say, listen to those words. They're so close, you can't get them away from each other. What's the difference if I raise my children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or teaching them God's ways? It's the same thing. Next, this isn't about, as I said before, it's not always about teaching and saying and telling our children what to do. It's about the actions that we need to be showing them. Fathers, the best thing that you can do is actually love your wife as Christ loved the church. It says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the one thing that I do in counseling and I go over. This is something that will surpass the generations. If you will love your wife as Christ loved the church to the point of death, putting her betterness in front of yours, your daughters and your sons will have the same mindset as you showing them with their own wife. And I'll tell you what, if I actually get a son-in-law that's not doing that, I'm going to be talking to the other father-in-law because I'm wondering how he interacted with his wife because it's by modeling that peace that the children they come to expectations within their own marriage I talked about last week the struggling future or the positive legacy that's really what it's talking about how are we raising our children in such a way that it becomes a positive legacy now Turn to Exodus 20. God gives us an example of how we should be spending time with our children. Now, I know a lot of men are working day in and day out just to provide for their families. But God tells us in this passage to take one day a week. And now I know it's to Israel, 
But as I've been practicing this over the past years, probably close to seven or eight years now, I've seen how that interaction with my three-year-old is actually producing fruit, even at this early stage. And that's because I'm getting to know her and who she is. Exodus 20, 8 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle of, of, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He created everything that we see in six days. And He, by His own behaviors, is showing us that we need time down. And where does He tell us to do it? He tells us to do it in the home, to interact with our children. Get to know them. It's within different stages of their life that they will either still want to be with us at home and interact with us, or they'll move away from us. But our own Heavenly Father, by His own behavior, rested on the Sabbath day. Um, so if we take that example and we model it, And I know many of us will come in late and our children are already down to sleep four or five nights a week. We'll take that one day and honor Him and interact with our children. Your relationships as they get older will be even better. I know Bruce, whenever he's up here, he'll reflect on some music. And I started to think about this today or the other day as I was preparing. And there was a song... That came to mind. See, if we're interacting with our children to the point that we're getting to know them and we're understanding their little behaviors and able to correct them, that means that we're taking time with them. And hopefully, whenever they're older, they'll want to still hang out with us. I love it. My father-in-law said he knows so many other couples and so many families that don't have their children around they're in new they're in other places and even when they come home they go visit friends they're not hanging out with the family you see the one thing that Kara told me before I married her is if you marry me you'll keep me here close to my parents close to my sister it showed me that their her parents actually interacted with them throughout the time you see but if you just give them their basic needs the clothing and the shelter and the food You're not creating so much of that relationship. And this is what this song actually is reflecting. It's called Cats in the Cradle, and the lyric, and it's written by Harry Chapin, or Chapin. The chorus says, And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, Little boy blue and the man in the moon. I love it because it starts out with this nursery rhyme, if you will, because we need to start interacting with them even at that early phase. The second part says, When you come in home, Dad, I don't know when. We'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. So that's the chorus. It goes on. 
the first verse says, My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in, an, in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and there were bills to pay. He learned to walk. While I was away. And he was talking, for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. Goes to the chorus. The next one. When my son turned 10 just the other day, said, Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to, to throw? I said, No, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away, but the smile never dimmed. Said, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to be like him. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be like him. Goes on. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. You see, he never took interest in his child, even at an infant age. So it's interesting that he goes back to that. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when. We'll get together then, son. You know, we'll get, we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head. He said with a smile, What I really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. You see, see you later. Can I have them, please? You see, he didn't take the time when he was younger. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. My little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when. We'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, I've long since retired and my son's moved away. Called him up just the other day. I said I'd like to see you, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. The final chorus changes and it says, Yeah, the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. You see, are we taking the time? Are we taking the Sabbath and interacting with our children? We've got to do that. Or we're going to grow up and they're going to be gone. And they're not going to participate when we're older. How many of you... This is what I teach when I'm working with families... Take the time and play games. And let me ask you this. Michael, which one would you rather play, Domino's, Uno, or Monopoly? Uno. You'd rather play Uno. So you like Uno. Which one would you rather play, Brian? Domino's. Domino's. You'd like to play Domino's. Anybody here want to play Monopoly? Okay, we got one back there. All right, two. Of course, Stephen's going to want to play Monopoly. See? But what's this teach me? It teaches me that for you, I've got to play Uno. For you, I, I want to play Dominoes. And for Stephen, I'm going to play Monopoly. 
I've got to get to know each and every one of them differently. They're different people. God made us all different. Don't eat these right now, okay? And thanks for participating. Well, it could. <laughs> but it does mean I'm interacting with you, right? Subliminal, yeah. Well, I think there's some guilt maybe we need to talk over. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want our kids to go out of here whenever they're going away to college. I want them to miss this place. The service today, some of the songs I put in there because I enjoyed watching the kids kind of upbeat and dancing around with some of these songs. I want them to miss this place and come back. <clears throat> you see, in John three sixteen, God interacts with us so much that it says he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He's interacting with us. He loves us to the point of death and giving us the ability to come into the Father's house. <clears throat> it is in Matthew nineteen thirteen through 15 that Jesus is teaching the people and a group of children come up to him and of course the adults, the disciples, they think it's too busy and the kids are just... a a problem for Jesus. But Jesus rebukes his disciples. And he says, as it says, Then some of the children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. See, he wanted to spend time with them. It wasn't about anything else but spending the time and praying for them. There's nothing more that we can do than to take time and bless our children. It says, For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let me tell you something, parents, or even friends who don't have kids. If you take the time and get to know somebody intimately and you bless them, blessings have went away. But every Sabbath, whenever we go around my table, I sit there and I'll bless my wife and I'll bless each one of my children. And then this week, Rebecca says, another blessing over here. And I went back and I blessed her again with another one. And um, that is something that I cherish. So it's by those interactions that it comes real. Now, if you'll turn over to Luke 8, because I want to include those who don't have... I remember sitting there not having children and these kind of sermons. It's like, well, what's this have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with you. Because you're going to have an ability to help my child and others in this congregation produce fruit like no other. And if you don't interact, they're not going to produce an, as much fruit. Luke 8, 4 through 8, we see the parable of the seed. And see, I have an aunt and uncle who weren't my primary caretakers because my parents were great stewards of raising us in the faith. But my aunt and uncle, today I still turn to them in times of 
uh, questions and in times of need. And they helped me flourish even more than if it was just my parents. And it says, When the large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed some fell and fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into good soil, and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears, let him hear. Listen to me. You have an impact if you don't have the children. I like to think of this as I was reading over this this week and I talked to Kara about it. The soil itself can be the parents. It can be the the main piece that the seed can flourish in. But what happens whenever somebody takes interest, an aunt, an uncle, a friend of the congregation? Maybe the soil wasn't that good. But you can have an impact. You can encourage and water and see that seed grow into a tree. And trust me, you may have the relationship more than that of the parents later on. I've seen so many people turn to aunts and uncles and grandparents or even friends in the congregation who still have relationships 20 or 30 years later because they took that child, the seed, and nourished it throughout their childhood. You see, a parent can only do so much and cultivate so much, but sometimes I want my child to turn to another person and have that relationship. They're not going to talk to me about everything, but they may talk to Jana. They may talk to my aunt, who I pray is alive for a long time. But at the same time, they may go to Katie just because the kids interact a little bit. It, it takes a community to raise a child. We've got to be interacting with one another if we want to impact them to the point of positive legacy. You see, Jesus said, he went on to describe the parable of the seed and how it, it falls on the rocky soil. But I'm telling you right now, maybe you can pick that seed up and interact with that child and that seed and help it flourish as it gets older. We need to be interacting more than just providing for the needs. Yes, there is something innate within us to, to as a guy, to provide for the essentials of food and water and shelter and clothing. We want to work our hardest, and many of us are. <clears throat> but we need to be taking the time to get to know each and every one of our children to the point that we know what it means when they raise their eyebrow or they are having a bad day. You walk in every night and if they're still awake and they're still going on, you have an interaction, you have an ability to brighten their night right before they go to bed. Or moms who are struggling day after day, I just, I experienced this a little bit myself with being off of the past week with Kara. I'm like, wow, they can really wear you out. But I could change them 
by changing myself. Music does a lot in my home. If I put on some, some upbeat music, my kids start dancing. You can change the atmosphere by your interaction. As parents, we have that responsibility to change it from a struggling future to the positive legacy. God shows us within his scriptures, within his Torah, how he provides for his people. He interacts with them. He hears their cries. And he delivers us through the blood of Jesus Christ, showing us his example. I pray that we take the time, get to know our children in a biblical way. And we spend time with them and get them to the point of wanting to return to us as they get older. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.